This is Registry, a podcast from Office Supply Publishing and Klaus Gunpoint. not on the National Film Registry. I harp on some, of course, but the one that gets me perhaps the most recently is Cabin in the Sky. And if you've never seen it, it is one of the most magnificent World War II era films ever made. It combined incredible performances, particularly in music, the singing of Ethel Waters, Lena Horne in her only leading role in an MGM musical, very important. And, of course, Eddie Rochester Anderson, who is always great. Even on the Jack Benny show, he performed in a way that was so smart. But you had the director, Vincent Minnelli, who is probably the most interesting director working at that point in the mainstream of Hollywood. And it featured, of course, a Busby Berkeley scene because it was a musical. And it's beautiful. It's beautifully done. And it's a fantasy film because of a number of elements. So Lil Joe was attempting to redeem himself, but he was killed because of gambling debts. And an angel gives him his power, gives him six months to redeem himself, and then he could enter into heaven, or he goes to hell. And thus the story begins. So many different elements are brought together here. One, the musical. The musical is in and of itself a fantasy form. It is the insertion of song where the individual has to express an emotion, typically. This is not always true, but if you're looking at it from the accessibility of the avant-garde, it is the insertion of a song in place of a naturalistic expression. The way it is shot is beautiful. It's one of the most absolutely beautiful films you'll ever see. And it definitely has inspiration from everything from German Expressionism up through noir. There's very beautifully done shadowing here. And of course, the music. Happiness is a Thing Called Joe, sung by Ethel Waters. Ain't It the Truth by Lena Horne. Cabin in the Sky by Ethel Waters. While Horne's impact today is felt greater than Ethel Waters, Ethel Waters was the most important African-American musical performer in theater and film. And what's amazing is that this was a film dealing with African-American characters and relatively heavy topic for the time that took responsibility for what it was doing as it was directed by a white director and made by a white-owned studio with a white producer. And apparently what happened was... uh, the producers and Manelli wanted to get feedback from the NAACP on the script. And before production, they submitted it to them and got a letter back congratulating them on the treatment of the black fable and avoiding the cliches and racial stereotypes of the time. That's a huge change from what most mainstream uh, cinema was doing with black characterization. And maybe it's the fact that it was directed by Manelli, who was not an American director but a European director who had come into America. And perhaps it was a real attempt to get the African-American audience into the mainstream of cinema because there was still 
um, black cinema that was separated from the rest of the mainstream and particularly powerful in places like Atlanta, a place with large African-American populations. But it's also a time capsule because it captures things like Bill Bailey, Lena Horne, Louis Armstrong as the trumpeter, <laughs> go figure, Mantan Moreland, Willie Best. Butterfly McQueen is in it. It's a very small role, though. And, of course, Duke Ellington just sort of lurking in the back at one point. It's a magnificent film that looks at the fantastical. But it's also a very important moment in American history because it was only really during World War II that experimentation like this was permissible. It was a time when... Revenues were down, of course, because of the war, though they were still pretty healthy. And people wanted uplifting fare. This is pretty heavy, and it did not do particularly well uh, because, of course, of the fact that there was a still a very large anti-African-American sentiment in much of the country including a famous incident on July 29, 1943, in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, where the film was stopped after 30 minutes by order of the sheriff. It was nominated for an Academy Award. It made decent money, but really it was important because it was such a strong representation, not only of the African-American experience and African-American performers, but of the willingness to cooperate between the white studio system with African-American performers and the African-American community, at least as far as you can say by submitting the script to the NAACP would be. And that back and forth was important and always will be. And while, honestly, we never really saw a film, at least not in the 50s, 40s or 50s, even into the 60s, we never saw a film that took this sort of approach from a mainstream studio it really wasn't until something like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner that that sort of idea sort of started to bubble up. This should be on the National Film Registry for a number of reasons. As an aesthetic, historical, and cultural, it satisfies all three of those in extremis as far as I'm concerned. <laughs>